Before we go to our study of the Word this morning, let's ask the Lord's guidance on our time in His Word. Father God, it's so good that we can come before you in prayer because we know that everything that we have in life comes from you, that real life resides in you, and it has been given to us through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross on our behalf. Jesus came not like a thief to steal and destroy, but to give life and to give it abundantly. And we pray that as we continue our study of Proverbs, that we might be responsive to the message of life in Proverbs. The path of life is the path of wisdom, the path of righteousness, and we need to focus upon that in our day-to-day decisions. Father, we continue to pray for Camp Arete, for Jeff, for Mark, for David, for all of the others that will be involved in the camp, and for those who are driving, that they might be kept safe on the road, and for all the many ways in which... Uh, the, the satanic system seeks to attack operations like this. We pray that you might give them additional uh, protection and that their way might be smooth this, this coming week. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're continuing our study in Proverbs. And as I pointed out the last time, we have uh, we covered the first nine chapters verse by verse. That's uh, an integrated whole. Uh, It's written by uh, Solomon as an introduction to this collection of individual Proverbs. But beginning in chapter 10 and extending through the remainder of this this book, with the exception of a few places where there's an extended uh, discussion such as uh, Proverbs 31, which talks about the a godly or the virtuous woman. Uh, apart from a few exceptions like that, these are just a, a miscellaneous yet divinely inspired collection of Proverbs. So they are not necessarily to be studied verse by verse, but we go through and we can categorize these these pithy little sayings that, that have boiled down key principles of the word, and then we apply them in our life. So there are a number of these studies that uh, we will engage in over the next uh, two or three months, uh, going into uh, sometime into September. We'll cover a number of different uh, topics. Last time I started on the negative side of the doctrine related to uh, wise work and labor, and the negative was not to be slothful, not to be irresponsible, not to be lazy. Today we're going to look at the flip side of that, which is wise labor and its results in our life. The importance of labor according to the wisdom of Scripture, as well as the results of labor, which is the production of wealth in our lives. And wealth is not simply a term uh, that is a financial metric. Uh, one cannot have a whole lot financially but have wealth from the Scriptures. One can have little financially and use it wisely so that it provides great uh, great abundance if we follow God's principles for our, our use of these uh, resources. So last time we looked at the negative, which is the warning not to be slothful or irresponsible, And today we're going to look at the characteristics of the wise worker to begin with and then the results of of wise work. In other words, how uh, some of the things the proverb says about how we handle our our finances. 
first characteristic that we see of the wise worker is a flip side of what we saw last time in terms of the uh, the slothful uh, worker. The same passage is invoked because this passage is built on an, an antithetical uh, parallelism, which means there's a contrast in Proverbs 6 between the one who is slothful, unwise, doesn't think in terms of preparation, and doesn't work hard at a consistent manner during good times in order to prepare for the bad times. And so the illustration that's used in Proverbs 6, uh, 6 through 8 has to do with uh, the ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer, without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the wise worker works uh, diligently, consistently does not work just in terms of an immediate need, but has a consistency in the work pattern so that every day is built on the same uh, level, whether there is success or whether there's failure. Sometimes, especially in some careers, if you're in sales, it's hard sometimes. If there's been a series of, uh, of a lack of sales, it's hard to uh, continue working to self-motivate. That's an important aspect. But no matter what our career might be, we all experience days when we are successful, days when we are not successful, and we have to keep a consistency there of working. And even when there's a time of abundance, the, the, the prosperity test is one we often fail because we uh, have a tendency, therefore, to waste financial resources. We have a tendency to maybe ease off in our uh, diligence and in our work, but then we need to be preparing for uh, the difficult times, the end game when we may retire, a time when we may be uh, out of work due to health reasons. A number of things can happen. I've seen this happen in people's lives, whether they're young or whether they're old, that they can go through times of unemployment. They can go through times of uh, difficulty due to health, uh, times when they have excessive uh, financial uh, bills for health reasons or some other reasons. We also take on many, uh, many folks in this congregation are taking on responsibilities related to their, their parents, their aging parents. Uh, others are dealing with uh, issues of helping their children get through uh, college. All of these things are things we are to save for, and we should be diligent in that. And as the, as the uh, writer of Proverbs points out, we uh, prepare in the summer, uh, gather food and harvest for the harder times in the winter. So the second point is beyond just diligence. The wise worker also takes initiative and works well without supervision. Developing a mental attitude where you realize that you're not working for yourself. You're really working for the Lord. And this is what is uh, expressed in both uh, Ephesians 6, 7, as well as in Colossians, that we are to work not as men-pleasers, but we are to work uh, as serving the Lord. So we view our employment as an opportunity to uh, express the image of God in us, 
uh, using and developing whatever measure of creativity that we have in terms of our imageness as God's creatures so that we can then apply that to whatever area of labor uh, that we are engaged in. And this can function both in our vocation as well as in our avocation. We work to please God, and therefore we should be working with an attitude of making ourselves indispensable to our employer. We're, our time during that uh, work is his time, a uh, time that we're getting paid for, uh, in order to make that person successful. And that is a, a foundational attitude that should be in the mindset of the worker. Unfortunately, this runs counter to the mentality of many workers. They're there uh, in some cases today. We have uh, too many workers who have a, a an attitude of, uh, of, uh, of, de- of dependency, an attitude of uh, thinking that everything is supposed to automatically provi- be provided for them, and uh, therefore they, they work to get what is entitled to them, not something that they are working to earn. And so this entitlement mentality destroys a true biblical work ethic. And you have people who often, we see this, and I hear about this in terms of many young people who come out of high school, come out of college, they've worked hard, and they expect to start at a level which is where most people end. And they expect everything to be handed to them automatically instead of having to earn uh, everything every step of the way. And so we need to learn how to develop initiative, how to look at the challenges that are presented to us in our work, whatever field that may be, so that we can improve and constantly uh, do the job better than anyone else. So the second point is that the wise worker takes initiative and works well without supervision. The third point is that the wise worker prepares for the future and does not just work for the immediate future. I've already alluded to this uh, earlier in the summary of these verses, but this is important. When we think about Scripture, we think about some events in Scripture. The one that comes to mind mostly is the the episode from Joseph, uh, in Genesis, in, in the early history of the, of the Jewish people, uh, the sons of Jacob lived in, uh, lived in the land that God had promised, although they did not own it. God, uh, and, and they were guilty of assimilating to the pagan culture surrounding them. And so in order to protect, protect and provide for them, God uh, brought a famine that affected the entire area around the Mediterranean, uh, forcing, which eventually forced uh, the Jacob and his sons to seek aid from Egypt. Now, the, in the backstory on this, what had happened in God's sovereignty to provide for them was that He used the evil of, Je- of Joseph's brothers uh, against them, and ultimately for them. And they sold their brother Joseph into slavery to Midianite uh, nomads. The Midianites then sold Joseph in slavery to, in Egypt, he was sold into the household of Potiphar, who was a, uh, a, 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 a diligent uh, overseer under Pharaoh. But Potiphar's wife 
had uh, lustful designs on Joseph, and Joseph in his integrity resisted those, fled from her. Nevertheless, she framed him for, uh, for rape and for uh, sexual uh, advances, and Joseph was thrown in prison. Again, God is working behind the scenes, even though circumstances seem very, uh, very negative. God was working behind the scenes in order to work out a plan for the ultimate good of Jacob and his, uh, his family. While in prison, Joseph met a couple of men who were imprisoned by, uh, uh, by Pharaoh. Uh, they told him uh, of their imprisonment, of uh, their unjust treatment, etc., and uh, one was executed, one was freed, but the way in which that happened was through dreams that God gave to Joseph. And Joseph had uh, uh, told the, um, uh, the one that when he went back to Pharaoh to tell him that, uh, of, of Joseph's ability with the dreams. Well, that didn't happen until an event occurred some years later in the life of Pharaoh where Pharaoh had this dream related to seven fat cows and seven lean cows. At that time, the Pharaoh was told of uh, Joseph in prison who could interpret dreams. Uh, God used that to reveal to Pharaoh what was going to happen, that there would be seven prosperous years followed by seven lean years of famine. Uh, Pharaoh was so impressed by Joseph that he elevated Joseph to a position of uh, number one in the kingdom under the Pharaoh. He was the Pharaoh's vizier. He oversaw all of the uh, agricultural activity and 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 uh, storage of of uh, tax revenue, as it were, uh, and built the storehouses so that during the seven years of famine there was a provision and the people had food. That's the principle. It is wise to save. It is wise to save for your future, for times of disaster as well as times of retirement. This is a virtue in the Christian life, and we understand this. It's not a violation of trusting God. Some people think saving and adding for the future is somehow not trusting God, but yet we have too many passages in Scripture, such as the illustration from Joseph and here, uh, in Proverbs, that we are to provide uh, for the future. That, too, is a way of trusting God in terms of our, of our own savings. Fourth principle, fourth characteristic of the wise worker is the wise worker patiently and consistently pursues success. I think this is an important factor. It's, it's uh, talked about uh, consistency earlier, but this is a consist, an enduring consistency. We have to have perseverance that no matter what difficulties may be, we continue to go forward. Some have referred this to the plotter. This is like the uh, hare in the fable of the tortoise and the and, uh, and the hare. Excuse me. It's like the tortoise. It's like the um, in the uh, uh, tail of the tortoise and the hare, the hare is much faster than the tortoise, and the hare comes out of the starting block running fast, and then he becomes arrogant, sees how slow the tortoise moves, and so he decides to take it easy. Uh, he ends up taking a nap and naps too long, and during that time the tortoise gains on him and passes him and eventually wins the race. 
The uh, race goes to the one who is the consistent plotter. That's the message of that particular uh, fable, and that's uh, typical of many ancient Near Eastern stories as well. It's grounded in a, in a universal principle that's articulated in the word as well. Um, Proverbs 28.9 puts it this way, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, the principle of hard work, labor, You work hard day in, day out, that will provide for you. But the one who follows frivolity, the one who takes it easy, the one who says, oh, we had a good year last year, I'm just going to relax and take it easy. Uh, Yesterday was a good day, today I'm going to take off and go to the golf course, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, then what happens in the long run is that poverty comes upon the one who treats his work with a frivolous attitude. So we're to be diligent and persevere and have that consistency toward everything that we do. Fifth characteristic of the wise worker is that he works uh, responsibly and develops and uses his resources well. Proverbs 27:23 says be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. So this uses an agricultural analogy from a shepherd that a shepherd is going to pay attention and know all of his sheep and he's going to pay attention to their their health, he's going to pay attention to their uh, welfare, their, uh, what is going on with his sheep, know everything there is to know about each one. Now, we can transfer that easily to our work. We need to study and learn about everything it is that we do. Today, we live in a wonderful world of the Internet. There are many negatives about the Internet, but there are many positives as well. There are ways that no matter what field you're in, there are ways that you can investigate uh, through the Internet, which is available to almost everyone today, and through many other resources, ways in which you can uh, exce- learn to excel and push the envelope in your own work environment, in your own area of labor, ways in which you can uh, learn more about what it is that you do, the way you can be more exceptional in the, your performance of your job and in the performance of your responsibilities, all of which makes you more valuable uh, to your employer, and it makes you a, gives you a better testimony as a Christian. I've often told the story that hit me rather uh, strong when I was a, a young man. I was in seminary. And one of the ways in which you could pick up a few extra dollars if you were in sem- when we were in seminary was that uh, they, uh, because we were seminary students, there was an assumed measure of trust, and they had a small business that operated through some students to provide house-sitting for couples and families that would be gone on vacation. And so they would call up to the seminary, and they would uh, inquire. Somebody would call you, and you would go out interview with the family. And while they were gone on vacation, you might live in their house uh, for a week or two. Sometimes you might uh, just might be for a weekend getaway. Sometimes you would be staying with their children while they're gone for three or four days. Uh, and and it was pretty easy money. It was a great uh, great thing, but it, it had a certain responsibility. And I was interviewing with one couple in. Uh, Highland Park, uh, where I was going to house sit for a couple of weeks, and they were a, uh, it was a great couple, great family. I ended up doing this for them many times because they traveled a lot, 
But one of the things that the wife commented to me on and early on as we were first getting to know each other was that they would try to hire workers who were either Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons because they were working their way to heaven, and so they were more diligent and harder workers than if they had a Christian. I mean, this was a family of believers. They clearly understood the difference, but they were disappointed in that Christians who understood grace often were slovenly. They weren't diligent. Isn't that ironic? You know, everything's by grace, so we can take advantage of things, whereas those who were legalistic were earning their way to heaven, so they did a better job. Uh, what a sad testimony of Christians. Uh, it should be just the opposite. The best workers, the best laborers should be Christians because we understand uh, the dynamics. We understand that we're working to serve the Lord, not uh, to serve ourselves or to take advantage of the situation. So we should be extremely diligent in our work, constantly pushing ourselves to improve our workability so that we become the very best at what we do. In Proverbs 27, 24, we read, For riches are not forever. This is the explanation of the principle uh, in verse 23. We're to be diligent. Why? Because riches don't last forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Uh, the contemporary application would be that we keep things in good work order. Now, point number six, the wise worker performs his duties with excellence and even artistry. See, we, not, we don't only learn to do it well, we learn to do it with a, a measure of aesthetic beauty. Now, this gets into a topic we've discussed some in the past, mostly in terms of uh, music and things of that nature, but we not only need to function well, but the form needs to be done well. Uh, this is an area of weakness in most evangelical theology going back to the Protestant Reformation where there hasn't been a lot of thoughtful development in the area of the theology of beauty or artistry. Yet everything that God did was not only functional, it had beauty. It was uh, glorious in its form. And so we do both. Now what happens in the breakdown of a culture in many different ways, pagan cultures present different different dynamics. But one dynamic that is evident in our culture is we, f we operate more on form rather than function. Appearance, especially in the age of television, is more important than content. And this affects the church as well. It affects politicians overly. The politicians are excellent at presenting a certain facade, but there's no content behind it. You can't trust what many politicians say. They're going to promise this and promise that and never come through. Or, or in the worst-case scenario, you have, we've created more of an Orwellian doublespeak where politicians consistently come out and claim that they are doing certain things and no such thing is actually happening. But they say it over and over enough to where people, uh, many people tend to believe them simply because they have said it. 
there are a certain segment of people in our political landscape that think that if they just talk about something, if they just identify a problem and articulate a solution, then it's as good as done, and nothing actually ever happens. This is all the result of elevating form over function. Uh, on the other hand, you have a segment of people who can develop things that are functional, but they don't have any real skill or beauty uh, to, uh, to add to them. And so people who are attracted to the aesthetic uh, will sometimes reject the functional simply because it's not visually appealing. It is not aesthetically appealing. And when we look at Scripture, there should not be this dichotomy between form and function, but the two go together. So a wise worker is not only going to learn to excel in terms of the mechanics or the details of his job, but he's going to develop a skill, skillful artistry in the presentation of his work. Proverbs 22:29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Notice it is he stands before kings not because of his self-promotion, but because he performs well. And ultimately, God is the one who truly promotes a person. Now, many people are promoted through self-promotion. Many people get advances many other ways. But the person who is genuinely and truly promoted is the one who is promoted and advanced uh, by God. And so this is all part of understanding wisdom. Wisdom is the skillful application of God's word to life. It is not just the application of God's word to life. It is the skillful application of God's word to life. It takes time to develop skill at anything. You think of uh, professional athletes. You think of professional uh, dancers. You think of actors. You think of people who perform in, 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 in music that that comes as a result of thousands and thousands of hours of practice. They had a raw talent and a, wrong ability, and, and, and a raw ability, but that ability needed to be, be developed, and it only comes through practice, and not just practice. It has to be perfect practice, because practice doesn't make perfect if you're imperfectly practicing. So perfect practice makes perfect And that's how you develop skill at what you do, and it has uh, a beauty and form to it. As a result, remember, proverbs are stating what happens in most cases. A proverb is not a promise. It is a proverb. A proverb says in in most cases when people follow these procedures, this is what happens. As a result, the wise worker will enjoy financial uh, success. Proverbs 10.4 in the second part of the verse says, The hand of the diligent makes rich. The way to wealth is consistency. The way to wealth is perseverance. The way to wealth is pursuing excellence in everything that you do. But there are many people who pursue their jobs and careers with many area, in many areas of wisdom, yet God, for whatever reason, does not promote them. And that's fine. That is, that teaches us then to rely 
upon God and not upon ourselves. Because in many cases, God doesn't promote us because he knows that that by promoting us, it may destroy us because we haven't yet developed the capacity to handle prosperity. And prosperity often destroys people more than it elevates them. And so we have to learn to be content uh, with what God has provided for us and content with where we are yet at the same time uh, pursuing excellence. The result is that we will enjoy success and fulfillment in our vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, meaning a calling, recognition that every human being has a calling from God. And that calling is often displayed in the area in which you labor. Uh, it may not be. There are many, many people who work where they work simply because that's how they could get a job, and they're not able to labor in the area of their true love. And so this, again, is its own test for we have to uh, put food on the table and provide for our loved ones and do the best that we can. And at the same time that we are doing that, we need to be pursuing options and alternatives where we can indeed provide a living in where uh, in the area where we excel. But then there are some of us who have areas of service where we excel that are not areas that are uh, financially viable. And that's another issue that people have is that they, uh, they might love to teach, they might love to write, they might love to uh, be involved in the arts. There are many areas where they might love to labor, but those are not areas that, where there are uh, very many financial rewards. But the principle is that the hand of the diligent produces a, a success. The hand of the diligent will, will rule. But the lazy man, notice this is another antithetical parallelism. Many of these proverbs that are, are, are found from Proverbs 10 to the end of the book are un, unlike the first nine chapters. There are a few in the, in the first nine chapters, but most of the last part uh, are built on these antithetical parallelisms where a positive is stated in one line and then the contrast and the negative is stated in the other line. And we, this is a great example here. The hand of the diligent will rule. That's the positive statement. But the negative is the lazy man, the sluggard, will be put to forced labor. He, he hates to work. He doesn't want to work. And so there's a, uh, a negative there. And he has to work because he's lost everything. Proverbs 22:29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings and not before unknown men. There is a reward to fulfilling your, bringing your, your gifts, your calling, your talents to, to uh, fulfillment. Now, once we have enjoyed success, there are responsibilities that come with that success. And wisdom teaches the value and the use of that, that financial success, that it is not just something to be uh, frivolously spent on the details of life, but that there are responsibilities toward others that come with the possession of wealth. We must first understand that in the context of Scripture, wisdom comes as the result of, of listening to God. Wisdom has its, has its root in God, so that when we look at the Scripture, it talks about wisdom providing something. It is 
ultimately saying that God is the one who provides uh, the knowledge and the understanding in order to accomplish the task. So wisdom is the result of listening to God is the source of true wealth. Now, there are many people, and the Proverbs talks about these, that are that pursue wealth through illegitimate gain, and it just passes through their hands and has no enduring value. They have no capacity for prosperity. Proverbs 8, 18, and 19 talk about the fact that wisdom, that is God, is the source of wealth. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring riches and righteousness. Notice the connection here, that this is not just a matter of, of physical, work, uh, physical wealth. It's not just a matter of the bottom line in your bank account or your investment portfolio, but this is talking about a, a, rich, a, a wealth that goes beyond the physical, the spiritual wealth, the spiritual capacity that should be developed along with the development of physical uh, riches and property. Uh, Proverbs 8.19, wisdom says, My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. So in the pursuit of wealth, we should be uh, pursuing wisdom and spiritual maturity and our relationship with God even more. Again and again, as I pointed out, as Proverbs 19 is another example. The value of knowing God's word is more important, more valuable than the value of wealth or riches. That's not saying that physical wealth and, and riches are not valuable. It's saying don't get distracted by that which has only temporal value. There's great value to those who are wealthy. We live in a world today when many people want to uh, sneeringly talk about the rich, and yet those who have great uh, resources are not hiding them under the floorboards of their basement. They are putting them in the bank. They are buying companies. They're investing in stocks. They are putting that money to work so that it eventually is being used to provide uh, work, to provide resources, to provide uh, jobs for many, many people. It is through the um, it is through the charity, uh, the charitable donations of the wealthy that we have many of the great things that we have in in our civilization. The libraries, many of the medical research uh, laboratories, are funded through the largesse of extremely wealthy people. They they fund uh, museums, they fund theater. Uh, many of these things come from those who have accumulated great wealth, and when that, if that wealth is taken from them through these various uh, uh, systems of socialism through taxation so that their wealth is redistributed to others, then those who ha- have wealth that could be used for these uh, great purposes of improving the life and improving our civilization, then they don't have the resources to give, and we all become impoverished by excessive taxation. 
and this is something that is rarely talked about. When people have more than they need, then if they are using it well, they are using it to supply in many other areas in a civilization. Uh, don't talk about this as, as some sort of nasty little trickle-down philosophy of economics. Then you just buy into the whole worldview and the false argument of the socialists. The scriptures never, never talk negatively about the rich or wealth. What they do talk about is that not that money is a source of all evil, but the love of money is the source of evil. That's greed. Greed is warned against. But the responsible development and use of wealth is is praised in the scripture because it is through those who wisely use their wealth that that many, many others are also provided for and blessed. But the end game isn't physical wealth. It is spiritual wealth. It is developing that spiritual capacity to use what God has provided for us. And so we should, if, if we think that money, the things that money can buy are valuable, then the word of God is, is infinitely more valuable, and that should be our ultimate priority. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says that through wisdom a house is built. And here by house it's a reference to uh, an, uh, an entire family, not just the physical dwelling, but the entire family and all that is produced by that family. It is built on wisdom, a dynasty, a family, a generation where wealth is passed and distributed from one generation to the next is built truly on wisdom. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So that wisdom, which is the doctrine from the word of God wisely applied, is the true source of personal wealth and riches. Second principle we learn about the proper responsible use of wealth is that since it ultimately comes from God, we should not be covetous. Colossians 3 talks about covetousness or greed is another form of idolatry. It is, a, it is wonderful to pursue wealth, but not for its own sake and not in an illegitimate manner, keeping all things in perspective. Proverbs 28.16 says, A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor. Power without wisdom is oppression. It's tyranny. Uh, we live in a world today that is characterized by that more and more, even in so-called free countries in the West. But this is not unusual throughout the history of, of humanity. The norm has been oppression from rulers. Rulers thrive on power and strength and not on the wisdom of God's word. So a ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness, notice the contrast there, the one who hates covetousness will prolong his days. In other words, don't give in to greed, don't give in to materialism and materialism lust. The end game is not how much you have externally, but how much you have internally. Proverbs 11.28 warns, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. The one who's trusting in his riches is not righteous. Righteous is characterized by trusting in God. 
Uh, one who trusts in God can have great riches, but the one who trusts in his riches will not have a relationship with God. And so that is, uh, uh, that is tantamount to arrogance, and arrogance leads to a fall. But the righteous will flourish. We will flourish whether you have a large bank balance or small bank balance. If you are righteous, then your spiritual wealth will flourish. Proverbs 13.7 says, There is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing. See, he has prosperity with no capacity. He's on a, he's on a frantic search for happiness and meaning and value, yet he has nothing in his soul. He may have all of the external trappings. He may have uh, a huge house. He may have, uh, uh, he may own various companies. He may dress in $3,000 custom made suits. He may drive the most expensive vehicles. But internally, he is miserable and unhappy and without capacity for life. And so when the wealth is taken from him, then he has nothing to live for and his life is destroyed. There's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing and one who makes himself poor but has great riches. Now, the way he makes himself poor is through the distribution from his own volition, of his resources to help and aid others. He gives of himself. So rather than hoarding for his own purpose, this is one who gives to sustain others, and therefore he has great riches. Uh, Proverbs 19.4 warns under the third principle that we should be cautious with our financial resources and not, not give unwisely or provide for others unwisely or foolishly uh, spend our money and uh, frivolously spend our money. Be cautious. We are to be cautious and responsible with what God gives us. Uh, Proverbs 19.4, wealth makes many friends. Those, just look at all these celebrities with all their all the people who hang on around them and uh, and feed off of them and live off of their handouts because they, 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 they're just like, like uh, parasites. And so if a person has great wealth, they often attract people simply because uh, they are wealthy. Uh, but the poor, the contrast is wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. If you are, are impoverished and in need, then often people stay away from you because uh, they are embarrassed for you or they don't want you asking them for money or they don't know what they can do to help or they don't want to help. And so the poor loses their, their friends. But uh, the warning here is to be cautious with what God gives you, because if God has blessed you with wealth, then be careful of those around you who may simply be there to want to use your wealth. Fourth, we should use our resources to responsibly aid those who are less fortunate. Proverbs 29, 7 says, The righteous considers the cause of the poor. Notice this is the responsibility of the individual, not the responsibility of the government. This is the individual is to be responsible and to consider the poor and to consider to take care of those who are less fortunate. Uh, But the wicked does not understand such knowledge. That seems to have a wonderful political application that those who do not understand that it is the responsibility of the individual citizen to take care of those who are impoverished within a culture are wicked. 
That would apply to many, many people in government who seek to tax the individual, thinking that somehow government is going to be more efficient and more effective in providing for the poor. Yet in the past, and we see how this is systemic, in the past, before we get this idea that government takes care of everybody from the cradle to the grave, who took care of the poor? Who took care of the orphans? Who took care of those who were elderly and, and, and sick? It, it was through churches. It was through that those religious organizations that provided a much more personal uh, care. There was a level of accountability that was closer to the source of, of the money. If you look around most cities and you look at the names of the hospitals in those cities, you discover that most of them have their roots in religious organizations. We have the Methodist Hospital. We have St. Luke's. Uh, you can think of uh, nationally, you think of St. Jude's. You can think of uh, numerous other uh, hospitals that have some sort of uh, religious uh, aspect to their name, and that's because they were originally founded through various denominations or groups of uh, of religious people who were using their resources to help people. Only Christianity has produced uh, the the orphanages and hospitals in order to sustain and aid the poor. This comes out of a Judeo-Christian framework. Uh, Jews have done this as well. It's that Judeo-Christian framework. You don't find it in Islam. You don't find it in Buddhism. You don't find it in Hinduism because there's not a value uh, placed upon the in individual in those cultures. And now we have gone back to a pagan form uh, we're about to see the true largesse of the federal government destroy this country when uh, Obamacare goes into effect starting in the fall and into the into next winter because government just cannot appropriately and efficiently handle the compassionate needs for those who are poor. We've seen this in the whole area of welfare and how it has destroyed the uh, uh, black community in America and the black family because of the way in which uh, it is structured. And so we once again come back to that principle that we really cannot trust uh, government to do very much. Government in and of itself is not evil, but because it is controlled by people who are evil because they are sinners, then it leads to uh, all manner of uh, wickedness and disaster. So we have to understand the principle in Scripture is on the individual. It is on each one of us to look around and be cognizant of those who have needs and to help them. That's part of the responsibility of having wealth. Proverbs 28:27 says, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. God is the one who sees. Our giving should be done in private, the New Testament teaches, and God is the one who sees, and God is the one ultimately who supplies all of our needs and all of our resources. So part of the Proverbs is those who give uh, to the poor will not lack. God will sustain them. Proverbs 11.24 says there's one who scatters. That's referring to one who gives, one who distributes of, of the wealth that God's given them, distributes of their resources to others. He increases more, uh, on the, and there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty, the one who holds on to what God has given them 
uh, doesn't receive more. God doesn't give them more because they're not dis- uh, they're not demonstrating their capacity uh, for wise the wise use of their resources. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, "He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and He will pay back what He has given." So this locates our giving and sustenance of those who are without. And really, we're giving to the Lord, and the Lord is the one who ultimately takes care uh, of all of us. So we are to use our resources to responsibly aid those who are less fortunate. The fifth principle is that wealth is the result of honest labor, but we should value that which is eternal. Don't just focus on that which has temporal value, but that which has eternal value. Proverbs 27:23. be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds, for riches are not forever. Always remember that. Uh, nor does a crown endure to all generations. We are to uh, pursue that which has eternal value. Uh, sixth point, wealth has limited value, but righteousness is forever. See, we need to be pursuing that which has eternal significance, that which will be rewarded uh, at the judgment seat of Christ in terms of, of uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, which simply stands for different degrees of rewards and responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And we know from Scripture that the problem, the basic problem of every human being is a lack of righteousness. We're born unrighteous. We're born spiritually dead. And the first step toward life is to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we trust in him at that instant, God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. That is the beginning of our spiritual life. That is the beginning of our new life in Christ. And that new life must be nourished and it must be developed. And we are to, as, as um, Peter says in Second Peter 3.18, we are to grow by the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not something that happens immediately, but happens as a result of applying these same principles of perseverance and diligence to the study of God's word. When it's all over with, it doesn't matter how much we bequeath to our children. It doesn't matter how large our bank account. It doesn't matter what kind of car you have in the driveway. It doesn't matter what kind of a house you lived in. When it's all over with, the only thing we take into eternity is the spiritual wealth that we have developed within our own soul, and that then forms the basis for our rewards and our future responsibilities in the eternal state. Let's bow our heads together and close in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this time that we've had to to reflect upon our responsibilities in the area of labor, our responsibilities in terms of our wealth, our treasure that you have provided for us. And that, Father, we pray that we might use it wisely and responsibly to take care of those around us and to provide for those in need. Uh, Father, we are challenged by your word that we all are in a position in birth, at birth of spiritual death and we must choose life. Perhaps there's someone here who's not sure or certain of their eternal life or their eternal destiny. And, Father, we pray that right now they may make that sure and certain. Scripture says all that is necessary to have eternal salvation is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins, and we believe that what he did on the cross is sufficient to take care of every sin, every uh, problem in our life. 
And therefore, we recognize that we have forgiveness of sin uh, at the moment of faith alone in Christ alone. We become a new creature in Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing, uh, given everything necessary for life and godliness. And Father, we pray that uh, if anyone here does, has never trusted in Christ as Savior, that they would take this opportunity to do so. And Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for wise leaders who will stand up and be counted uh, men with cur- men and women with courage, with uh, doctrine in their soul, who understand the real issues in life. We're thankful for the few that we have that represent uh, constitutional truth in this country. And many of them are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for them, and we pray for that you would strengthen them and encourage them because they are often very much alone and under assault in this the devil's world. Father, we pray for this congregation that we might continue to go forth as a, as a solid testimony for your grace and for Jesus Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen.